Chapter 1 I think that I used to detest Dr. Fisher more than any other man I have known, just as I loved his daughter more than any other woman. What a strange thing that she and I came to meet, leave alone to marry. Anna Louise and her millionaire father inhabited a great white mansion in the classical style by the lakeside at Versoix, outside Geneva, while I worked as a translator and letter writer in the immense chocolate factory in glass in Vevey. We might have been a world and not a mere canton apart. I would begin work at 8.30 in the morning while she would be still asleep in her pink and white bedroom, which she told me was like a wedding cake. And when I would go out to eat a hasty sandwich for my lunch, she was probably sitting before her glass in a dressing gown doing her hair. From the sale of their chocolates, my employers paid me 3,000 francs a month which I suppose may have represented half an hour's income to Dr. Fisher, who many years before had invented Dentifil Bouquet, a toothpaste which was supposed to hold at bay the infections caused by eating too many of our chocolates. The word bouquet was meant to indicate the choice of perfume, and the first advertisement showed a tasteful bunch of flowers, which is your favorite flower. Later, glamorous girls in soft photography would be seen holding between their teeth a flower which varied with every girl. But it was not for his money that I detested Dr. Fisher. I hated him for his pride, his contempt of all the world, and his cruelty. He loved no one, not even his daughter. He didn't even bother to oppose our marriage, since he had no greater contempt for me than for his so-called friends, who would always flock to him at a nod. Anna Louise called them toads, her English not being perfect. She meant, of course, toadies, but I soon adopted the title which she had given them. Among the toads was an alcoholic film actor called Richard Dean, a divisionaire, a high, very high rank in the Swiss Army, which only, as a general in time of war, called Kruger, an international lawyer named Kipps, a tax advisor, Monsieur Belmont, and an American woman with blue hair called Mrs. Montgomery. The general, as some of the others called him, was retired. Mrs. Montgomery was satisfactorily widowed, and they all had settled around Geneva for the same reason, either to escape taxes in their own countries, or to take advantage of favorable cantonal conditions. Dr. Fisher and the divisionaire were the only Swiss nationals in the group. When I came to know them, and Fisher was by a long way the richest. He ruled them all as a man might rule a donkey, with a whip in one hand and a carrot in the other. They were very well lined themselves, but how they enjoyed the carrots. It was only for the carrots that they put up with his abominable parties, at which they were always, they were always first humiliated. Have you no sense of humor? I can imagine him demanding at the early dinners, and then rewarded. In the end, they learnt to laugh even before the joke was sprung. They felt themselves to be a select group. There were plenty of people around Geneva who envied them their friendship with the great Dr. Fisher. Of what he was a doctor, I don't know to this day. Perhaps they had invented the title to honor him, just as they called the divisionaire general. How was it that I came to love Fisher's daughter? That needs no explanation. She was young and pretty, she was warm-hearted and intelligent, 
and I cannot think of her now without tears coming to my eyes. But what a mystery must have lain behind her love for me. She was more than thirty years younger than I when we met, and there was certainly nothing about me to attract a girl of her age. As a young man, I had lost my left hand when I was a fireman in the Blitz. That night in December 1940, when the city of London was set ablaze, and the small pension which I received when the war was over just enabled me to settle in Switzerland, where the languages that I knew, thanks to my parents, made it possible for me to make a living. My father had been a minor diplomat, so as a child I had lived in France, Turkey, and Paraguay, and learnt the respective tongues. By a curious coincidence, my father and mother were both killed on the same night that I lost my hand. They were buried under the rubble of a house in West Kensington, while my hand was left behind somewhere in Leadenshall Street, close to the Bank of England. Like all diplomats, my father ended his days as a knight, Sir Frederick Jones, a name which with its dignified prefix no one found comic or unusual in England, though I was to find that a plain Mr. A. Jones was ridiculous in the eyes of Dr. Fisher. Unfortunately for me, my father combined diplomacy with the study of Anglo-Saxon history, and, of course, with my mother's consent, he gave me the name of Alfred, one of his heroes. I believe she had boggled at Eelfred. The Christian name, for some inexplicable reason, had become corrupted in the eyes of our middle-class world. It belonged exclusively now to the working class, and was usually abbreviated to Elf. Perhaps that was why Dr. Fisher, the inventor of Dentifil Bouquet, never called me anything but Jones, even after I married his daughter. But Anna Louise, what could have attracted her to a man in his fifties? Perhaps she was seeking a father more sympathetic than Dr. Fisher, just as I may have been unconsciously engaged on a parallel pursuit of a daughter rather than a wife. My wife had died in childbirth twenty years earlier taking with her the child whom doctors told me would have been a girl. I was in love with my wife, but I had not reached the age when a man really loves, and perhaps there had not been the time. I doubt if one ever ceases to love, but one can cease to be in love as easily as one can outgrow another one admired as a boy. The memory of my wife faded quickly enough, and it was not constancy which stopped me looking for another wife. To have found one woman who accepted me as a lover in spite of my plastic imitation of a hand and my unattractive income had been a near miracle, and I couldn't expect a miracle like that to be repeated. When the necessity to have a woman became imperative, I could always buy a copulation, even in Switzerland, after I had found my employment in the chocolate factory to augment my pension and the little which I had inherited from my parents, very little it was, but as their capital had been invested in war loan, at least it paid no English tax. Anna Louise and I met first over a cup of sa couple of sandwiches. I had ordered my usual midday meal, and she was taking a snack before visiting some little woman in Vevey, who had been her nurse. I left my table to go to the laboratory while I waited for my sandwich. I had put a newspaper on my chair to keep my place, and Anna Louise sat herself down on the opposite chair because she didn't 
see the newspaper. When I returned, I think she must have noticed my missing hand, in spite of the glove I wore over the plastic substitute, and it was probably for that reason she didn't apologize and move away. I have already written how kind she was. There was nothing of her father in her. I wish I had known her mother. Our sandwiches arrived at the same moment. Hers was ham and mine was cheese, and she had ordered coffee and I had ordered beer, and there was a moment of confusion with the waitress who assumed that we were together, and so, quite suddenly, we actually were, like two friends who encountered each other after years of separation. She had hair the color of mahogany with a gloss on it like French polish, long hair, which she had pulled up on her scalp and fastened by a shawl with a stick through it in what I think they call the in Chinese manner. And even while I gave her a polite good morning, I was imagining myself pulling out that stick so that the shell would fall to the floor and her hair down her back. She was so unlike the Swiss girls, whom I would see every day in the street, their faces pretty and fresh, all butter and cream, and their eyes blank with an invulnerable lack of inexperience. She had experience enough living alone with Dr. Fisher after her mother died. We exchanged names very quickly before our sandwiches were finished, and when she told me, Fisher, I exclaimed, Not the Fisher. I wouldn't know who the Fisher is. Dr. Fisher of the dinners, I said. She nodded, and I could see I had given her pain. I don't go to them, she said, and I hastened to assure her that rumor always exaggerates. No, she said, the dinners are abominable. Perhaps it was to change the subject that she then referred directly to my plastic hand over which I always wore a glove to hide the ugliness. Most people pretend not to notice it, though often they take a stealthy look when they think that my attention is elsewhere. I told her of the Blitz, the night of the City of London, and how the flames had lit the sky as far away as the West End, so that one could read a book at one in the morning. My station was off the Tottenham Court Road, and we were not summoned to help in the East until the early hours. More than thirty years ago, I said, but it still seems only a few months away. That was the year my father married. What a feast he gave after the ceremony, my mother said. Dentifil Bouquet had already made him a fortune, you see, she added, and we were neutral, and the rich weren't really rationed. I suppose that might count as the first of his dinners. There was French scent for all the women and gold swizzle sticks for the men. He liked to have women at his table in those days. They didn't break up till five in the morning. Not my idea of a wedding night. The bombers left us at five-thirty, I said. I was in hospital by then, but I heard the all-clear from my bed. We both ordered another sandwich, and she wouldn't let me pay for hers. Another time, she said, and the words were like the promise of meeting at least once again. The night of the Blitz and the sandwich lunch, they are the closest and the clearest memories which I have, clearer even than those of the day when Anna Louise died. We finished the sandwiches, and I watched her walk out of my sight before I turned toward the office and the five letters in Spanish and the three in Turkish, which lay on my desk and were concerned with a new line in milk chocolate flavored with whiskey. 
no doubt Dentifil Bouquet would claim to render it harmless to the gums.